Hello, everyone. This is Molly from the Casually Molly Podcast, and I just wanted to introduce you to my friends at the Natty Cat. This one is for you cool cats and kittens who can't get enough of wordplay and fur babies. The Natty Cat's natural soy candles feature inventive scent combinations and glass jars with clever kitties on the labels. Hand purred with locally sourced natural soy wax, the Natty Cat's candles woodwicks create a cozy fireside crackling sound, perfect for curling up on the couch. Remember, for all of your candle and scented oil needs, please visit our friends at the Natty Cat either on Facebook or Instagram. Have you ever wanted to get your shit together? Scrap it, look through the lens and capture it. But first world problems are getting you down. Disabled, salty, need an app to fix that frown. <laughs> well, you can do all those things and so much more. Just grab a seat in the chair or the floor. Sit back, relax, recline. Well, she drops another casual line. You're tuned into Casually Molly with Molly and Bergie. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Casually Molly podcast. I am your host, Molly Ambergie. Just remember that you can always casually subscribe to the podcast via audio and also on video for YouTube and our Facebook page. But enough about selfless uh, promotion right now. <laughs> so, uh, let's move on to our most important guest of the day here. We, The only guest we have for this episode, to be honest with you. Give it up for Phil Woodmore. Yes. <laughs> Phil, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Phil is a local. Yeah, what would? What, how would you describe yourself? Because you oh, have a God. lot of different hats, yeah, Phil. I do. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, how do I say that? Um, St. Louis native, and uh, originally uh, would consider myself a music educator. I taught in uh, middle school choir in Ferguson, Florissant, and uh, Rockwood for uh, fourteen years and uh, moved on beyond that to compose some music. So I had composition, composer to my list, um, and a vocal coach uh, locally and in New York and Arizona. Uh, so also definitely music educator and vocal coach. Um, and a businessman. I opened um, a business called P. Woodmore Music several years ago. Um, started a foundation in 2008 to scholarship children that needed help with uh, getting ready for college auditions. Uh, so yeah, so I, I wear lots of different hats. Oh Choir director. Yes, I was about to say, I was like, I don't even know if I can sum up everything. So what do you not do, Phil? Um, I don't do uh, IT work. <laughs> <laughs> sound engineering, there's a good one. I'm not good with sound engineering. Well, that's why we hired sound engineers for today. So there don't worry exactly. about it. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, that's fantastic. I, you know, I even learned a few things I didn't even know, but... What's kind of funny about Phil is that you and I met randomly on a patio, (laughs) (laughs) very much a Midwestern thing. You're just sitting there. And um, I remember we were at the patio and it was, uh, I forget, it was somewhere like off of McKnight. I forget Um, where. Katie's Pizza. Yes, Uh, Mm -hmm. yes. And we're all like six feet apart. Uh We're all like sitting out there. And my friend, Tony Roper, who used to be, she was on the radio here. Now she's over in Springfield, but 
she was cracking me up because she's like, Phil, hey. (laughs) And we just get talking and she's like, do you know Phil? And I'm like, I don't, but I do now. It's so nice to meet you. And then I was like, here's my card, be on my podcast. And now we're finally sitting here. I love it. Yes. But that is a... That, I mean, do you just randomly meet people and they're just amazed by you? What's going uh, on? Well, <laughs> I can't uh, vouch if they're amazed by me or not, but yes, I, uh, <laughs> I really am out and about in the, the public. I guess the, the bigger thing for me is not necessarily just meeting new people, but bumping into my old students. Oh, yeah. And since I've taught for so many years, I've taught well over 3,000 students, so I... I have to <laughs> just kind of cautiously move forward when people run up to me with their eyes bright and just be really nice because sometimes I know who they are and sometimes I don't. <laughs> so that's the bigger thing is running into to former students. But um, it was actually nice to be out that day because, you know, we haven't gotten out very much. So it was a pleasant surprise to run into Tony and meet new friends. It was it was cool. It was a good outing. Checked exactly. off the list. Well, I loved your friend that was just along for the ride that was with you. Andy, so I actually just called him on my way down here because he um, flips houses and has a construction business down here in the city. So I called him to let him know I was coming down. Um, and he actually for, okay, so the reason we met is because of him. So let's talk about Andy for a minute. Andy. So he, uh, <laughs> he forced me out of the house. Uh, it's one of my best friends since I was 16, 17 years old. And um, I've just been at home chilling. He was like, we need to go do something. I was like, I don't want to catch the coronavirus. He was right. like, we'll sit on the patio. You know, he set it all up. I'll find a place. It'll be good. And so that's the reason I was there. Well, that's so, so shout funny. out to Andy E. Yay, Andy. <laughs> that's kind of what Tony did for me, where I was like, I hadn't really gone out that much either. Like I basically came like here and then work and that was it, you know? And so when we ended up on that patio, I was like, all right, like everybody's taking precautions. And because, yeah. you know, you read everything about all these people who aren't. So you're just like, oh. And you just never know. You that's, just never that's how know. I feel. Do I trust anybody? But I was like, all right, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can order a pizza and mm-hmm. sit here and eat and feel good. And feel good about it. Yeah. Exactly. I felt the same way. Yeah. So thanks. I just remember how Andy, I was like, sorry, Andy, we're just like having a conversation. <laughs> And he's like, oh, I love it. Yeah, he was loving it. He sure was. <laughs> he, he just smiles. He's he's uh, He's been one of my number one fans for a long time. He's been proud of all the work that I'm doing. So he loves when that type of stuff happens. Yes, he was genuinely excited. <laughs> it was very sweet. Like, he's just eating his food and he's like, yeah, wow. And my girlfriends are like, isn't this so fun? Like, we're here. Like, this is... So we both have a great, like, we, I, Phil and I were talking about Erlis earlier. And I know this happens not just only in St. Louis, but in a lot of places. You think it's like a big city, but you kind of have a lot of like intertwining friends and people. Um, And I told you I was involved in theater and still still am, not maybe as heavily as much since now I do more comedy and working this podcast. But let's kind of talk about you. You have a lot of experience (laughs) like you talked about earlier. And one of the things we talked about on that patio was that you had Antigone and Ferguson. Mm -hmm. And you were like, oh, I, I think I read something in the New York Times that... There was like, it was going to happen. And mm-hmm. then, you know, with COVID going on, mm-hmm. what, what's what been the journey for Antigone and Ferguson? And kind of give us a background too. Oh my goodness, quite a journey. Okay, <laughs> uh, here we go. Here <laughs> we go, in. everybody. <laughs> um, so uh, we got to roll back to 2016. 
Um, actually, I want to roll back a little farther. So as I was designing my career in St. Louis, I really wanted to give back to this community um, all of my passion and music and passion for people. And so as I started to set this up, um, you know, the school thing was going great. I loved middle school thinkers. I love helping them design how they're going to um, move forward in their future and all of those things. And people think I'm crazy for teaching middle school, but it is what I love doing. It is my gift. And and I, I embrace that. That's fine. If it's not your gift, it's mine. And I definitely enjoy it. I would go back to middle school teaching at, at any point. It's, it's, it's definitely a joy. Um, so I set that up. And then um, outside of that, just kind of uh, uh, aligning with my teaching in middle school, started a program at COCA, the Center of Creative Arts in, in U City, and uh, really helped and collaborated designing their voice program. Worked with Shauna Flanagan there for mm -hmm. many years to really start designing that program. Uh, worked with a slew of students, Will, that we just talked about this working Will there now, <laughs> is a, a student from COCA as well. Um, and so I just started aligning myself with the community through COCA out in New City, uh, through my work in Rockwood out in uh, Chesterfield. Um, and then in 2009, I linked up with um, uh, then officer, now detective John Leggett, who needed a choir director for a group of police officers. We got together, put together something for 9-11, smash hit, another new job for me and I became the director of the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department Choir, which was phenomenal. I didn't really know. There's only a few, I think four or five in the country that are established. So yeah. we were kind of way up on the map. I'm and learning I, too. And, yeah. I, and I'm bringing <laughs> the police choir up because that's a direct connection with Antigone and Ferguson. Um, and so anyway, I, I really was trying to um, juggle um, many things. So my, my year looked like this. Let's go back to 2014-15. Um, let's, let's go to 15, 16, the year before it happened. So um, I was teaching well over 300 students a year, which was a very impressive amount of choir students for middle school. And I love being the popular teacher, but then I hated it when I was prepping, right? Because I still had to prep for 300 kids, yeah, exactly. <laughs> regardless of how cool I was. <laughs> and so I usually went to school the week before everybody came back to get all their files set up, get my classroom organized. I themed the classroom every year, so it was something fun. We did like a sports theme, we did a Hollywood theme, we did a Broadway theme. Um, I think that year it was uh, I like an emoji thing. I found everything emoji and created everything out of emoji. So just something to pull the classroom together and for the kids to, you know, they're 11, you know, kids to be excited. Yeah. Um, so I go to school the week before the teachers come, which now with the school, well, this year is different, but then with school starting like August the 13th, remember back when we went to school and it started in September after right. Labor Day, like normal things. Like normal times. Yeah, and then yeah. not anymore. Remember when. So, exactly. So, you know, teacher meetings started August the, you know, 7th. So I would go back August the 1st and just really start working in my classroom. So I did that. Um, greet my student. I have my teacher week. I greet my students. We get rolling. During the school year, um, one year, I actually worked full-time at COCA and full-time at Crestview. So what? I would leave Crestview at 2.30 or 3 o'clock and drive to COCA and teach classes in the evening. You're like determined, three or, man. <laughs> three I days respect. a week. Yeah. So I've kind of I streamlined it by that point where I would work at COCA all day Saturday. So I would get get there at like 8 a.m. on Saturday and stay to 6 o'clock. So I was yeah. at COCA all day Saturday, taught during out the week. Um, I was a minister of music at my father's church. So I was at church all day Sunday with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and so seven days a week, every week, never took a break. I vocal directed musicals. Um, that's where I met Will. I vocal directed the musicals at Marquette High School for many years. Uh, so I was vocal directed musicals, all kinds of different stuff. Um, so my year was always jam-packed. 
And we get to the end of the school year, and then I transition right from Crestview to full-time at COCA. And I'm teaching camps every week, Monday through Friday, 9 to 3. Um, I'm vocal directing their musical, which rehearsals start at 3.30 and go to 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night. Um, and then uh, Saturdays, again, I would have voice students, and then Sundays is a church with my dad. So I worked year-round, seven days a week. No break. No break. Nothing. So this particular summer, um, I decided one of my... Um, uh, a dear family friend, um, after being a voice student, um, the Savages invited me down. Uh, they are, were in Florida at the time to hang out in their beach house. And I was like, well, oh. if I can take a little mini, mini vacation and go down there, you know, pretty much for free, just get a ticket and yeah. go hang out in their beach house and uh, just take a breather, I'm going to do it. So I booked uh, five days down in Florida. Uh, and it was literally, so the show ended at Coca on, you know, July the 28th. We closed. I was leaving on July the 29th and I had to be back on August the 3rd to start and you know what I'm saying yeah. it was literally I stuck these days in there yeah and the day I was um flying out the morning I was flying I was rushing around and getting my stuff I get this random phone call well it's not random yet I got this phone call from Coca mm -hmm. um I you know probably said some choice words but um I was done with Coca didn't want to deal with it ready to get on this plane but just just in case something was going on I answered the phone and it was a woman that was like uh is this Phil Woodmore? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you called me. You're like, yes. Yeah, so, um, so. <laughs> it she just was depends. like, exactly. <laughs> I was like, uh, she was like, okay, yes. She was like, uh, my name is uh, Christy Burlitson, and I'm a friend of Brian Dory's. And I was like, Okay. She was like, we were hunting your number down. Um, Brian does all these really cool shows and uh, we're looking for somebody that might be able to work with him and get a choir together. Is it okay if I give him your phone number? And I was like, well, I mean, I guess that's fine. I'm like literally about to catch a flight. So if you could tell him sure. to call me tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm doing all this stuff today. So... Um, he calls me the next day and says, I'm Brian Dorries. Um, we're putting together a project for St. Louis. Uh, it's going to be called Antigone and Ferguson. It's a version of the play Antigone. Um, and we need you to put together a choir of uh, differentiated thinkers. Um, and we mainly want police officers in the group so that we can sit down and start discussing all of these issues that are going on in St. Louis right. between law enforcement and the community. I'm like, oh my God. And I was like, well, I am your guy because I direct the police yeah. choir in St. Louis. <laughs> I and he was to like, have a exactly. Connection. <laughs> and he was like, that's exactly how we found you. We found an article in which you, you did something with them. And it said Coke on there. We Googled Coca, found your number. So it was totally this organic thing of them Googling to, to find me. Mm -hmm. And... So I'm going to throw this part of the story in and then I'll rush to the end. Um, so he he called me and said he wanted me to put together a choir. I'm a great, I'm an excellent event planner. If anybody needs somebody, an event planner, I'm your guy. Love planning events, love putting everything together. And so organizing this choir, especially with my education background, I'm like, no problem. Um, I'll get these different people together. I got this group at COCA. Um, I have these students in my voice studio, the police choir, these students in my church or people singing from my church choir. So I just brought all these people together um, and the beauty of it is they had no idea what was going on. I was like, hey, I have this project 
project I want you to jump in on? And they all said yes. And I was just like, wow, you know, this is crazy. Had no yeah. idea what it was. And they were just like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and so I agreed to that, felt good about it, started typing out the email to everybody. Then he calls me the next day and says, um, hey, uh, well, let's back up. So the first day I was like, I'm just thinking, you know, being um, all the amazing stuff. He's from New York. He's from Brooklyn. All the amazing <laughs> stuff that goes on in New York. You know, I'm sure. not up with everything. This is some cool project that, you know, has just traveled the country and I'm just jumping in. And he was like, no, we're starting from ground up. My brother is uh, working on the music um, with a, um, I think it was a grad student or professor up at Notre Dame. His brother yeah. was at Notre Dame and we want you to collaborate on the music. I have to be honest and say I rolled my eyes. Like, I don't want to call somebody, some stranger in Notre Dame to collaborate <laughs> on making music, but I'm like, okay, right, you know, but, yeah, it was yeah. fine. Um, so anyway, so that was the agreement. So then he calls me the next day. This is where I got bamboozled. He calls me the next day and he says, hey, uh, my brother and I were looking at your resume and we think you should just rock and roll and write this music yourself. And you're like, and oh. I, I laughed. I, <laughs> I was just like, kind of backed up to everything I just told you. I was like, let me tell you what I do within a year. Yeah. Like I have zero minutes and zero seconds to write music and that's not my, that's not my degree. That's not my gift. Like, yeah. you know, I can put the choir together in an hour, but right. you know, and he was like, no, we, we think, you know, we think you're the person and we think you should do it. And I just have to pause and say he had full faith in me from the beginning, a stranger he met online. And that was the reason I said yes. I mean, he never, uh, never thought that it wouldn't be a success, never thought that I wouldn't be able to get it done. And, and you know, all he knew was what he had read online. So I'm like, you know, this is crazy. So um, being a man of faith, I called my father and I was like, hey, um, this guy wants me to write this music. He asked for it to be gospel music, which I kind of raised my brow at. I was like, you know, I don't know about this blending of the, the church and this ancient Greek stuff, you know, just getting my dad's, my okay. dad's opinion on that, being a pastor. Um, you know, I don't want to shame the church and trying to make a mockery of anything, you know, just right. really trying to be authentic in, in my process. And my dad kind of explained, you know, from what angle I would be doing this and, you know, how I would view it. And I just have to rush ahead to say this. I quickly learned that this is just, you know, ancient Greek tragedy is another form of like church. It's another it form of, of religious experience. You know, uh -huh. I wasn't educated on that. And that was the main reason he asked for that is that there's so many alignments there that can be brought out from this. Um, so again, just a very beautiful collaboration right from the beginning. Um, so yeah, I, I agreed to this. I said yes. And in 29 days, I sat down and wrote an entire score for a musical from scratch. Yeah. Um, I read the, the script three times, did some script analysis, uh, took out the sections that were supposed to be songs, uh, analyzed that further, created those into lyrics, and sat down and wrote five songs for the show, and then a sixth song that was just a gospel ballad that I wrote um, just out from my heart to add to the, to the work. And I put it together in about 30 days. Oh my God, 30 days? Yeah. Man, I, I, I mean, I can't even brush my hair sometimes in the morning. I say that all the time. I'm like, oh, I did today. I was like, this I'm going to be on camera. I better put on some lip. I was like, you know how it is right. with like COVID. I'm not like really putting yeah, on a bunch of makeup. exactly? Am I really going to get dressed today? That's what I said. I was like, well, I guess today I can put like a color on if we're in front of the lights. But that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, did this project come to fruition? Was it, um, how did the, how was it received by um, the general public? So, um, 
the everything was such a whirlwind because I was on such a deadline, and that's when Brian always jokes. He was like, you know, you give somebody a deadline and look what happens. Um, <laughs> but you know, sure. I had um, so I started this in Florida, on, and I brought up the Florida piece because I was on my vacation, and the three days left in Florida was all this. You know, I was sitting around and reading and coming up with ideas and creating, um, and so I rushed back to St. Louis, very you know motivated and energized. Well, I do have to throw in there that the second half of this, I was with students. So, I mean, I only had about 10 days of the 30 days that was not with students. And so once I uh, uh, was with my students, I really, as an educator, felt it was my duty to focus on my kids and not ignore that, you know, part of my job. And so I was trying to be fully present while I was teaching. And then I would rush home and do this in the afternoon, evening, and just, I just had to get it done. Once I got, I, I feel like once I crossed over the halfway mark, I was like, I see what's going on here and just, you know, needing to get it finished. At first, 50% might have been a little skeptical, but once I got over that hump, it was just organizing and pulling things together. Um, so I wrote out a score and finale. I, I learned finale through that and, and wrote everything out. Uh, the choir was on board really from day one. Uh, we set up these three rehearsals. Um, and then Brian flew in town. Like it just was like bloop, 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 bloop. So, you know, I take you to um, my dress rehearsals Friday night in the Wellsprings Church in Ferguson. Um, I, I'm, I'm writing a book right now about this, actually, uh, which I guess I'll do a shameless plug at the end. Um, but I uh, write in my book about how I'm just sweating and um, I'm, you know, sweating bullets because I'm nervous, but it's also hot in the church and we're rehearsing this music. I want it to be as perfect as possible, all of that. And so I think Brian is going to show up with, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know what I thought, but he said he was coming. So I knew, I knew he was coming when he walks in with this army of people. I just, you know, like the, the panic on my face, his brother came, one of his close colleagues and mentors came. Yes. He showed up with his entourage and I was like, Oh my God. So I better impress. Exactly. (laughs) So they went in, they went and slipped, slipped in the balcony. Um, and we sang through all the music and I went over there and fear and trembling was like, so what'd you think? And he's just going on and on and so excited. Um, and the next day was, was uh, we, re- we performed it three times on that first Saturday, September 17th, 2016. Um, we started at Normandy High School and got to perform in the Little Theater where yeah. Michael Brown graduated, which was a beautiful testament. Mm-hmm. And I guess let me throw this in here. So uh, Brian doesn't like to give any interpretation for the show. He really is a true believer that the show will interpret itself. And you as the listener, just whatever your interpretation is, is the interpretation. I love that point He's, of view. Yeah, yeah. he, he mm-hmm. doesn't like to fill in gaps for you. And so the, the main purpose of this, we do the art form to really spark something within you. And then he pretty much has an hour and a half discussion with the, with the audience about what's happening. It's not a talk back. It's literally, he gets a mic and starts asking questions and just let the audience talk freely. Mm-hmm. And so that's the beauty of his of his process. He tries to make everything free. He doesn't like to pull money from this. He gets grants and everything to put these projects up. Good for him. Um, so yeah, he he has a really cool and specific project. Theater of War, if you want to look him up. Theater of War, Brian Dorries. Um, so anyway, we we show up to Normandy High School. Dwayne Foster, the fine arts coordinator there, was uh, really. Um, 
um, instrumental in putting all that together. Um, and uh, I walk in the door, PBS News is there yes. interviewing people. And, you know, I'm just like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. uh, the late Reg Kathy walks in the door from The Wire. I'm like, whoa, yeah. you know, Gloria Rubin, Samara Wiley. They got I'm a like, lot of coverage. Yeah, yeah for I, sure. I was like, wow, this is this is a big deal. <laughs> um, and I, you know, it's just, I could go on and on just to explain to you the feeling to hear my music on stage for the first time and just the, the joy of that. It was probably a really beautiful thing to see. Like how yeah, it was, just, it was surreal. From like, you know, the start where you were talking mm -hmm. about, where you were like, I'm so busy, I'm mm -hmm. trying to fit things in. And I think that's what I should also highlight about artistry in general. And I know you did too, and I'm going to vouch you on this one for <laughs> sure. Is that like, Artists always have so much going on. Like all it's the time. All the time. <laughs> like it never stops. Like we're just like, like that's why I just let you go. Cause I was like, I want people to hear when you're trying to explain like what you have done. Uh -huh. Like, you know, like you just don't end up on stage with this music. Right. And it's just Here there. we are. You're right. like, I had to build a career, get uh -huh. people to believe in me, do all of these things, get this. And like, even when we try to go on a break, mm -hmm. it's like you never end up on the break. <laughs> like you just don't do it. You're just like, okay, yes. But then like you find somebody like Brian who you got a mm -hmm. really passionate project and it like really has something mm -hmm. special and meaningful to it. So you're like, well, I can't pass this right. up. All right, I'm going to take my research. I'm going to do this. Right. And you're like, your posse's here. All right, my my self-esteem. Okay, right. like, my, you know, who knows anymore? <laughs> and what's great about it, like about projects like that, and that's why I wanted to have you share that, is like, I loved how much coverage it got mm -hmm. because people really believed in the project, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I was just like, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, this is great, you know? <laughs> yeah. and just the fact that I, I love the idea that you said, or you were quoting him about talking about like how the audience needs to kind of see mm -hmm. it. As I feel like that's the best way, in just my opinion, to sometimes have people have perspectives and join in on conversation. And I really appreciate that there are people like you and Brian, everybody really that allowed that like a, like a vessel of communication for mm -hmm. that. So thank you. you know, yeah, I think yeah. that's fantastic. So um, opening day was, it was it was great. I mean, it was whirlwind. We performed three times to well over a thousand people. There's a couple hundred um, at the uh, little theater and then the church, I think held five or 600 and it was full for both of the evening performances. Uh, we met a bunch of people. Uh, shout out to uh, Detective John Leggett's mother, uh, the, late, the late Norma Leggett who got up and spoke so passionately in that opening night about truth and how we need to speak our truth and, and live our mm. truth and just it's just so many great great memories um so um i would love to talk about that more but the rest of the story is just as good so let's just plow plow right through <laughs> so we get through opening night um i literally think this is it right yeah. i've done all this work i feel good about it i feel like we have sat down and had an honest conversation. I feel like the community received it well. Mm -hmm. People received my music well. Brian was impressed by what I did. Like, I just really felt good about everything. I slept well that night and I was ready to get back to my kids. Like, I thought that was it. Yeah. I, I was like, I did all this work. It was crazy. Nobody will ever believe that I did all that in a month, but it is what it is. It happened. I conquered. Right. 
That's done. how you feel. You're like, yes. we're good. Yes. <laughs> so I go back. I go back to school. Um, I go back to teaching. I tell my kids about it. They immediately think I'm a celebrity now that I've met, you know, Samara Wiley. What? Oh my god. You know. <laughs> so that was all fun. And then they, of course, they start googling me left and right. You know, to see. I was like, well, I, I just teach guys. <laughs> you might see well, like. Well, you, you need to be a special person to be a teacher. Exactly. So, yes, you're exactly. more than just a teacher. <laughs> um, and so anyway, so we kind of got back in the groove of things and. Within a week, two weeks, Brian calls me and says, the Onassis Center wants you to come and premiere your project in New York. What? <laughs> and I was like, like, you know, drop the phone, like. Like my jaw dropped. Exactly, your jaw is- exactly. <laughs> and still thinking that this is not real. I was like thinking, how much is it going to cost a person? What do I need to do to raise the money? Blah, blah, blah. They're like, oh, no, they're paying for everything. And then you guys will get paid. And I'm just like. You're like, oh, <laughs> this is this is a whole new level yeah, for me yeah, as a producer. Yeah, like, okay. What? <laughs> and so, you know, I run back in the classroom. My assistant at the time at Crestview was singing in the choir. And I'm like, oh. Going nuts, right. and um, yeah, October. I don't remember the date, but somewhere near my birthday is October the nineteenth. So somewhere around my birthday, uh, I premiered my project in New York in the lobby of the Onassis uh, uh, Fortune Five Hundred building on Fifth yes. Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, we turned the lobby into this beautiful theater space. It was this cold, stale space, and we put up the curtains, got the chairs out, and we had church in the lobby of this of this of this building, and um, met a beautiful friend, uh, Marcel uh, Davies Lash who uh, brought a choir Voices of Hope to collaborate with me and made a lifelong friend out of Marcel. Um, taught my music to these people, you know, via the internet for a few weeks and had, I think, same thing, one or two rehearsals, and then we just did it. Yeah. And so, okay. After <laughs> New on. York, I now I've, I've achieved, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just wrote something that just, just performed, in New, New performed in New York. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. Put that on my resume. I'm going to go back to teaching. My chest is going to be held high. I'm somebody important now. Right. Okay? So I go back to teaching and I get another phone call. <laughs> hey, such and such college. Well, you know what I'm saying? And so it just started just kind of growing. So we did this two-year tour of the project all over the country. Um, the next big, you know, Grand Slam... Um, um, so we uh, Onassis kind of funded the stuff in the beginning, and then uh, the Starvos Niarcos Foundation kind of picked up in the middle, uh, which is another major player in Greece, mm-hmm. um, and started funding things that we're doing. Well, I get this phone call in the spring. Uh, yeah, Starvos Niarcos in Athens uh, wants to fly you guys over and perform at their um, international conference. Oh my God, this part <laughs> I didn't even know. What? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Okay. okay. Yeah. And same thing. They bought all 35 people in my team flights to Greece, put us in this beautiful hotel. Everybody got honorariums. Wow. Everybody got per diem to eat. Mm-hmm. It's It was insane. Yeah. Uh, so we performed my project, you know, just walking out onto that stage in this, in this beautiful opera house um, and knowing that my work was going to be performed there was, you know, just chilling. It's unreal. Uh, so we performed in Greece um, that first summer um, and just kind of just a lot of different places. Um, so these performances, my teaching, I, I I was present as a teacher, but I was struggling because I was splitting myself into so many different people. Yeah. And so I will say for that reason, my teaching was struggling, but I worked really hard when I walked in the classroom to be in the classroom. Yeah. Um, and so that second year that we were doing this touring, um, I kind of thought this was my new life. I would kind of teach and then 
you know, kind of leave for the weekends and stuff. I had 185 days saved up. You know, when, well, when, so teachers will hear me on this. When you start teaching, you're terrified to take a day off. You know, yes. it's just like a fear. Yeah. And so I had all of these days saved up because you just never take, take a, day, a off. day off. And then you get to some weird, like year 12, 14, it just stops mattering. Yeah. <laughs> and you take a day off just because. It's like, I'm just taking one. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? And so I was at that point in my career where I had all these days saved up. So I knew like if I needed to take a Friday or whatever, I could, you know, make it work. Um, and then I get the news that Brian wants to take this off Broadway. This is continues Isn't to... it amazing that your hard work has like paid off though during all of this? Like I feel like that's what people need to understand too is like, and I'm sure a lot of people do, but it's just like all of these accomplishments that you got, like you had to start from like kind of like writing, seeing yeah. how things are going to work. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so excited for you each time you take a, a pause <laughs> because you're just like, and this snowballed and this happened and like this went on. And just because it does have such a powerful message to the mm -hmm. story, I, I wanted to point out too, like, how it's been received just globally, like mm -hmm. in New York, in Greece, like in St. Louis. Like that's fantastic that artistry and especially something that you were a part of has touched so many people mm -hmm. in such a wide variety of yep. places, but yep. continue. Um, so <laughs> you're fine. I was just like, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, we, uh, I went back to the Rockwood School District knowing there's no way I could, um, I would have needed, we did five weeks at the Harlem stage um, up in Harlem, uh, New York, and there's no way I could just leave my kids for five weeks. Um, and so I decided to take a sabbatical for the entire year. Um, we'll take a turn after I get done with this story and talk about oh, my PhD work. Um, but <laughs> uh, I will throw in here that Rockwood gave me a sabbatical in 2012 to go to Mizzou and be present as a student and learn and educate myself in my PhD work, which was phenomenal. It was like, they don't have to do, they didn't have to give me my job back. They didn't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people have to make a decision if they're quitting to go do that and they they receive me right back and you know oh, wow. like you know oh, so it was huge nice. for me yeah. yeah um and now i'm going in fear and trembling to ask them for a second sabbatical never been done ever yeah and they approved it it was yeah. it was nuts and um it just really showed the support of that district and, and knowing the importance of the work and where we are right now as a community, um, where we were then in 17, but where we are now in 2020, totally. yeah. um, that they would respect that to, to get the project out. So I, I hopped up to New York. They put me up in Harlem. Um, we did the project. It was beautiful. Uh, I will, I'm not going to make it all bells and whistles. That year was a little rough on me because I came back to St. Louis and didn't really do much. And I didn't know what to do with myself because I had worked four or five jobs for right. my entire career. It's, you don't, it yeah. feels weird. Yeah. You're lost. I didn't yeah. know what was going on. Exactly. So that was that was a hard time for me to kind of find some direction for myself. And um, I really thought the project after after Off-Broadway, I was like, oh my God, you know, we're about to be, I'm about to be doing this full time and about to be this big time producer, blah, blah, blah. But it just came in little segments. Like everything sure. was beautiful, but it just came, you know, this as an artist, the, the work is there when the work is there. And yeah. that, that's it, yeah. you know, and then it's not there anymore. And it's like, well, that's like the thing too. And it's like, that's why, you know, people like we do it in comedy too. We're like, we're, you just get addicted. Like your mm -hmm. show after show, mm -hmm. after project, after this. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have something going on, which I think has been a struggle, especially for artists during mm -hmm. the pandemic at this yeah. time, you're like, wait, what? Like, yeah, this what has been to be doing? like, we like, I was just talking about this the other day, like my full twenties, especially I, I dedicated my life to, I still do, but 
there's just something about just like making like theater your mistress mm-hmm. or like artistry your mm-hmm. your person, you know? Mm-hmm. Like and when you dedicate yourself to something so meaningful and that disappears mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's a it's a really strange concept. So I know and like I feel for artists right now yeah. that they so well that's what I want to ask you too. I've been seeing that you've been doing a lot of like Zoom stuff mm-hmm. and there was I'll some, get to that. I'll yeah, get to that. that's that's something we yeah. can get into. Well, yeah. I was about to say, how's that working out? Yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, let's 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 save that for the end. Okay, we'll uh, see. Are we doing good on time? We're I'm, 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 we're a, at, I'm a chatter. It's okay, we're okay. All right. In case anybody was um. wondering, <laughs> if whenever, you whenever you're this, watching this, exactly, it's eleven nineteen over the present here. Moment, right. <laughs> um, so. Uh, uh, the time that I spent following that that run in Harlem, and of course I was on a high for a couple of months. Like I just performed this for five weeks. We did thirty performances, sold out houses every night oh, yeah. at this historic theater in Harlem. I got to I was there um, when they uh, put up Aretha's memorial when she died, right there at the Apollo. I was around the corner. I was just, yeah. just unreal. Right. Um, like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, for real. And so I came back to St. Louis. I, I set up shop and. And um, then, um, you know, I'll fast forward eight or nine months. We set up another great off-Broadway experience um, in Brooklyn at, at this beautiful church, uh, St. Anne and Holy, Epis- uh, Holy Trinity Episcopal Church um, on Montague Street, just right in a popping area of Brooklyn, right by the Brooklyn Bridge. And the concept there is that the doors of the church would be open. So um, a part of this, oh, so much to say. So a part of, <laughs> a part of this whole setup that I designed was that the choir would come out and just sing this gospel music and just just blow the house out. You know what I'm saying? Just come in and just knock everybody out before the show even started. Mm-hmm. And so I bring all of these singers in and we just sing familiar gospel music, you know, things that people would know. And that's also on purpose, you know, even if you're not really in a gospel, you see everybody around you is singing along and jam- you, oh, you see everybody's I having get a good totally time. Into you know what I'm yeah, saying? I'm you like see dancing, having, a good having time. the best exactly. time of my life. And yeah. so it just kind of <laughs> loosens people up. You know, you see Antigone and Ferguson and you're already like, what is this? What is about to happen? What, you know, you know what I'm saying, and that already sets like a tone, you know, yeah. that, with with the music. And so anyway, they would go open the doors up at six thirty. The choir would come out. The my uh, my <laughs> I have to talk about my dad. So my dad has been has performed in every show I've done. Oh, We've really? done over two hundred shows. Go dad. Um, he uh, plays a guitar. Um, he's an amazing man. Um, you can't really Google him, but you will be able to now since he's played. Oh, I'm giving it away. So he played the guitar for all the shows um and uh when we were in greece the guy that was coming over to play tiresias uh canceled at the last minute so they asked my dad to jump in and i laughed i was just like i mean i get he is a preacher so you know i guess it would be fine and (laughs) when i tell you he just like not standing ovations knocked it out of the park never had an acting class never been interested in acting never it, it just is in his bones and the way that he delivers this and so after that performance in Greece, he's been playing Tiresias ever since. And so he was reviewed in the New York Times for his performance um, in my show. You know, thanks, Dad, for oh, taking the spotlight. That's so um, sweet, So though. amazing. So amazing. And so anyway, so the musicians come out, they start playing. Uh, they open the doors of the church. The choir comes out at 640. And I mean, we just go out and we just start wailing. And so many people were like, I was walking by and I just heard these people sing. And I want to know what was happening. I was walking by and I heard this beautiful 
sound. I want to know what's going on. Um, I was in my Uber and I, you know, it's just everybody was saying this because the doors were open and people were showing up. The most touching one, and I'll blow right past this because I don't want to get emotional. This man walks in off the street. Um, there, there's this amazing woman in the performance uh, named Durance Blaylock, and she is such a praise and worship leader, a beautiful spirit, and she sings the song I'm Covered, the last song that I wrote. And this man was walking down the street and heard her singing and walked in to, you know, he was just drawn, really, and to hear what was going on. And that's the last song. That's all he heard. He didn't he didn't know what was going on, yeah. didn't see the show. And he stood up and said, you know, just that I was I was out on the street and I heard this 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 voice, this woman singing, it was Durant's, and I just had to come in and hear what was going on. He said, I don't know what's happening here, but that voice just drew me in here. And he told us um, he'd had a stroke and he he was slurring his speech. Yeah. He said, I've, I haven't sp spoken publicly in two years. Oh. And yeah. I just, I just had to get up and share this story. All, we we're just all like, oh, oh my God. you know, yeah. and it was just, it was just story after story. There was a woman uh, in her late nineties, ninety eight or something, that got up and I mean, just quick on her feet and talking, just sharing all this beautiful truth to us. It was just thing after thing. The, um, I have some moments in my book. Number one, I'm a couple. Um, so Brian has a panel at the end of his show where people get up and kind of lead the conversation as um, a model. Yeah. And then he goes on to the audience and the panelists are usually, um, well, it's a variety of people, but he doesn't like putting celebrities on there. He doesn't like putting influencers because sure. he doesn't want to leave the conversation. He, he wants it to be real people. I agree. But yeah. um, he puts people that are, you know, um, influential about the topic or in the, sure. you know, whatever. And so this one night, this man sitting on this white man sitting on the panel um, and, you know, it's just another, another white man, you know. Yeah. And so <laughs> right. we're all moving on. No big deal. His wife was sitting on the front row. He's going on about how he's um, been in um, music. He's, uh, so everybody looked at me, you know, he's like played the guitar and done all this different stuff. And then he says, my wife and I lost our son in Sandy Hook. Just like <gasps> the air goes oh out of the room, God, you yeah. know, like to be looked, we're, we're sitting here with this man. It's not on CNN, like this man sitting right here. Mind blowing. Uh, Gwen Carr, same thing. Um, Eric Garner's mother uh, walks in, sits down, says, I'm Gwen Carr, Eric Garner's mother. Just blown away um, to, you know, meet this woman that son, watched her son being, well, didn't watch, but, you know, having her son being choked to death by law enforcement. Yeah. And she was so positive. She was so forthcoming. She wants us to move forward. It was just beautiful. And she has the Mothers of the Movement that is a group of mothers that have, you know, that have experienced this that she has put right. together. Uh, Leslie um, Hednick's bad and Brian, uh, Michael Brown's mother was there mm -hmm. um, that evening. Uh, Michael Brown Sr., Michael Brown's father came and, and saw the show as well. So it's, it's, it's been very powerful yeah. to just start to get this collection of people um, in the room. So uh, back to the choir. So oh, the, no, choir's, the choir's yeah. singing and people are coming in. It's just this very um, enriching experiment, experience and you know people are kind of coming together. Um, we do this performance and we have this great conversation we did it 50 times in in brooklyn and it never got old which was kind of cool to experience something different every it's night it's a classic you know that's the Absolutely. best way to do it um mm -hmm. so anyway we got done with that and i really thought that this was my new thing um i shouldn't say this publicly but we were prepping for the kennedy center next was bringing us on and we were getting ready to be in dc uh we were doing a huge thing in baltimore after that like things were really rolling right. and then covid, COVID. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love how you and I are both like, we yeah, both know we where are. this story here is going. <laughs> here we are. So um, I, uh, I, I didn't really know uh, what my direction was going to be when I, when I saw, you know how we all kind of saw this and that stuff is on the news. You know how yeah. it is. You see that stuff, all this stuff's on the news. Okay. And then when it started becoming real, and in our communities, you know, it's a little bit of a wake-up call. Yes. You know, the reality of you see stuff on TV and it's like, oh, this is like actually... This is happening. Yeah, happening. Yeah, right now. Um, yeah, like here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, that kind of shift of thinking and, you know, taking yeah. things seriously. And um, But I'm going to back up again. So um, I've been doing my PhD work since 2010 at Mizzou. Um, and uh, my passion, my area was the um, the child's changing voice and how their voice maturates to help them through that. Sure. And my dissertation was going to be on the psychological effects of this, the voice change for these young singers, especially young guys that go from such a, a boy soprano high voice to a lower voice in a matter of minutes um, and performing in high stakes situations. So like uh, people that, these little kids that perform like on the Grammys or on Broadway or even down at the Muni and, and having all that that you know those high stakes and your voice is not doing what you want it to do you know what is right. what is that like um so you know those were kind of things i was going to study and then antigone happened and i saw how transformative this project and this specifically this music was and so that's what i switched to the transformative power of the music um and i interviewed a lot of people that were at the uh the harlem uh production to um help build my dissertation um uh, which is where my um, book comes in but we'll get back to that um <laughs> So I'm doing my dissertation work and it just so happened I was finishing when COVID happened. So yeah. I was I was writing 10 hours a day. I mean, I was editing, it was, right. that's all, that was what I was doing. My, I had to get my dissertation finished. I had to set up for my my defense and blah, 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 blah. So that was all through May when I graduated. So the first part of COVID was fine. I was like, I wouldn't have gone anywhere anyway. Yeah, Cause, cause I'm I was, studying. I'm here yeah. on my laptop, you know, totally. that was me Understand. and my laptop. Yep. Um, and so that all happened, graduated, it was exciting, of course, anti climatic see my name roll on a PowerPoint from my living room, but you know, I uh, got my diploma, all good. At least you've um, got the diploma. Exactly, exactly. I got my diploma. Roll the uh, power. Exactly. So I'm, I'm the new Dr. Phil, the black Dr. Phil, <laughs> the real Dr. Phil, you know, however the, however the billing that. is going to go. That's awesome. Um, and um, just kind of started with my, with my summer. And um, as you were just saying, like, I just, I had a moment of pause where like, this isn't going away. I need to decide how I'm going to be relevant during this time. And so I turned my voice studio into a virtual voice studio That's online. That's what I saw, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I was totally against that because I very much uh, like to experience music with students yeah. and really work on technique. Um, the students are more present when they're actually in the space, but this allowed me to set up something to keep students singing. And I was shocked. Uh, I just assumed I was going to be begging people to take voice lessons because that's extra unnecessary money you know i'm like people are not going to pay me right now when everybody's scared about jobs i immediately filled up i i, I posted i posted a post i'm doing virtual voice lessons i got 30 students in a week yeah it was nuts because they're like you know what my like, kid this has is the nothing time. to do yeah and uh, they love singing and they're sitting here doing nothing please will you teach my child i'm like Okay. okay. And I got adults <laughs> that were like, this is a little less abrasive. Like, you know, hey, let me try this out. People on Instagram, like, I've always been thinking about lessons. What do you think about? I'm like, cool. So, yeah, I'm teaching about 35 uh, students now over uh, just virtually.
virtually over Zoom. And so that kind of kicked off quickly. Um, I was very inspired when I finished my dissertation to uh, form my dissertation to a book that's um, a little more reader friendly and a little more comprehensive and not so much jargon and right. you know, research based. And so I'm right on the tail end of that, telling the story of Antigone. I'm going to, I haven't decided if I'm going to self publish yet or not, but be looking for it. It's called Antigone and Ferguson um, A Journey Through the Transformative Power of Music um, that I'm going to be putting out um, hopefully later this year. Um, and so I'd started working on that book. I started teaching voice lessons. Brian came up with this amazing concept to do Antigone virtually. And so we just did our first virtual performance a few weeks ago over Zoom, and it went very well. Um, I hope he's not mad at me, but I'm about to announce that Johns Hopkins also wants us to put up a virtual presentation. So we're doing another one on October the 17th. Okay. Um, um, that'll you know be open to the public. And the beauty of this virtual presentation, there were 48 countries represented on that call. Wow. 7,000 people, 48 countries. It was just ridiculous that we can really come together literally as a nation and yeah. in, in that in that type of platform, which just made it very special. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been doing that um, and um, living life, trying not to get COVID. <laughs> uh, right. I feel like that's like every, like, I was like, Phil, how have you been doing? And he's like, the same. Yeah, and I was just, like, yeah, just, just trying not to get the virus. Yeah, try, try, not to, <laughs> try not to get sick. So that's, uh, that's just kind of, you know, the journey in a nutshell and kind of how things really formed and shaped. Um, I guess I need to throw this in here since we're just kind of fully telling the story. Uh, Brian entrusted me with two other projects. So I've actually written three projects for him. Oh, wow. Um, so Antigone is the one that, you know, got this um, kind of fame and, and um, uh, been reviewed a lot. But my second project is just as special. So um, right after I got done with Antigone, and we knew it was a thing. He asked me uh, what I thought about uh, Dr. King's The Drum Major Instinct speech. And, um, you know, uh, you, you hear, well, obviously everybody knows the I Have a Dream speech. Sure. But you hear a little bit about Dr. King when people are really sharing um, about him and his life. And I'd heard of The Drum Major Instinct, but I mean, I just knew it existed. That was yeah. really it. And so um, I sat down. It's a 35-minute um, sermon. I sat down and listened to it on YouTube. It was very inspired. I was like, yeah, I would love to do something with this. So I went through the same process. I printed out the transcript. I read through it. I found areas where I feel songs were appropriate in, sure. the, in, the, in the context and got subjects and themes. And that one was definitely from my heart because I wrote all the music from scratch. I just took the themes from the show and just wrote this music. Yeah. Um, so The Drum Major Instinct is the second show that I've written. It's based on Dr. King's sermon um, uh, by the same title, The Drum Major Instinct. Uh, we got to perform that in the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Public Library on the 50th anniversary of when the speech was given, February 4th, um, 2018. So making a direct um, correlation. Uh -huh. I like that. Um, mm -hmm. And Brooklyn Public Library has been a major sponsor and supporter of us uh, throughout pretty much this entire process. Shout out um, to Brooklyn yeah. throughout this whole process. Yeah, Go Brooklyn! Been, <laughs> all right. Yeah, yes, been, but continue. It's, yes. been, it's been great to have their support. Um, so that the drum major has also done a college tour. So that's that's been out there uh, quite a bit in the public. And then the third piece I wrote for him is um, a Frederick Douglass uh, piece. So I took uh, one of the Frederick Douglass speeches, which is a little harder because Frederick Douglass is very much an academic. Um, so the I had to really dig hard to find the passion. Right. Um, but I, same concept, I took the speech and kind of 
um, put it in context with these little chunks and wrote this music. We did a little more of a um, ensemble cabaret ish style, just a little smaller, more intimate uh, setting for that one. It was one speaker and eight singers, um, and I performed that and or premiered that in Staten Island. So I have three shows that I've done with him. Um, over the past four years. Um, the state of Virginia was booking us. Uh, we were going to be granted, I won't say the name just in case I can't, but a very <laughs> prestigious foundation was giving us a grant to go into the state of Re Virginia and really put together a project for the state. Uh, we were really going down the direction of slavery with you know all the um, the um, you know 400 years and all that that's been you know just uh, a hot topic uh, but now we're looking at the deconstruction of the monuments and things that are happening up sure. in Virginia mm -hmm. um, and just maybe you know jumping onto that bandwagon so we have a lot of, of directions we can go again with COVID that all kind of got shut down that was supposed to be happening right. um, now as well and so I'm hoping in 21 uh, once we get a, a handle on the direction of, of, of things and better timelines of what's going on uh, that will be able to get out to Virginia and I'll get to start on that. Um, I was planning on composing a three-part project for that. So taking um, three mini projects and making it one huge project. The first portion was supposed to pay homage uh, to all the slaves and the name of the slaves that we don't hear about because our history books are whitewashed. And I hope I can say that in, in a family setting here that there is just not much in the history books anymore on slavery and how right. that all went down. And to give that acknowledgement um, through music Music, but also educate people and I learned so much going to Virginia myself and going to the museums and to the the graveyards where the slaves have been laid to rest um, all the amazing black people have done amazing things for our country that are not in the history books right. um, and so I wanted to put together a project, uh, excuse me, a piece um, that kind of acknowledged that. Um, I like, so um, when I did Antigone and Ferguson, my brain started with the structure of the oratorio, uh, which, you know, from collegiate standings, those are structures that are historic. Uh, but I took that Western structure and I deconstructed it into something that made sense to me. And then I repurposed it for Antigone and Ferguson. So I was going to do the same thing with the Requiem, you know, the, the, the piece uh, that, you know, acknowledges and pays homage to the dead. Um, and take that Western model as well and deconstruct that as well and do something that would pay homage to the slaves. Um, like so that's that. kind of what's in my brain. Um, and then uh, Polk Miller was the uh, man who, uh, well, first of all, he uh, created the flea collar and he's the first man, white man, to take um, actual black people and do music all over the country during that time versus the blackface. It was kind of a shift. Yeah. And he's not a great man because he still had slaves, but oh. <laughs> at least... Of course, always something in the closet. Jeez. At, least, <laughs> at least, you know, he's he was moving things forward with that. Right. And so, same thing. I wanted to take all of his music and deconstruct it and rewrite it and repurpose it for my purposes and put it back out um, in a new, inventive way. And then finally, there was a paper um, that kind of documented it and shared um, what was happening with the lynchings and things that were going on in that time. Yes. So I wanted to take the article and different things and just work with that to come up with something artistic. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of plans to really go in and, and dig deep into Virginia. And I'm excited if that all happens, that's great. And if we go a different direction, it's great as well. Um, but I'm kind of putting that down for my, ne my next major project. Um, and the um, 
um, area of Black Lives Matter and social justice and all that's really happening right now. And then um, another cool thing that I'll throw out there um, is a little bit of a shameless plug. Um, I met up with um, Tom down at Saint at Shakespeare Festival. Yeah. And uh, we're putting together a collaboration that was also supposed to be happening right now. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that's going to be a big phrase. This was supposed yeah. to be happening. However. But no, still let right. us know what's right. going on. Um, so um, working with Shakespeare and uh, Chris Limbert, the... Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I know Chris. Over, I know all those people. Over, so. over prison <laughs> arts. Um, we were collaborating to put together a community version of Pirates of Penzance. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do it in a pub, do it somewhere non-traditional and kind of do a little more of a flash mob musical style. We all show up and it just musical just starts to kind of yeah. happen. Um, and the beauty of it was Chris was going to provide us with formerly incarcerated um, um, members that are coming back into society um, and use them as members of the of the cast. And then I was collaborating with the police department with my connection and having city and county police officers to come in to have that direct collaboration. And the cool thing is, is we could put the police officers playing pirates and the formerly incarcerated people playing the law enforcement in the show and just really mix things up. And then we're going to have auditions and pull in a, a, a cast for some of the uh, bigger roles and just throw it up and, yeah. and, and do this. And so um, we had, we've been bumping the date a bunch. It was supposed to go up um, Super Bowl weekend, which, you know, obviously that's not going to occur now since we're just kind of all chilling. Um, but I'm hoping also late in 21 that we'll be able to to get that together and get that moving. So um, it was exciting stuff coming up. I saw things shaping um, in a very beautiful way. Um, my, as you were saying, my my companies really started turning into a production company itself. I opened a publishing company as well. I've been writing a lot of uh, music for choirs. I wrote um, music for a fourth and fifth grade honor choir last uh, last year. Um, a middle school choir that also didn't get to happen because of COVID. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm doing a lot of publishing as well. Um, but when this is all over, and uh, you know, everybody's had a lot of time to think during COVID, but I think that my um, my strongest passion's in the classroom. And so regardless of these little pieces that I continue to do, I think I'm going to go back in the classroom um, in 21-22. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Leaving I, it all wow. open. I t- well, I kind of love the idea that you're like, you know what, I feel like, again, as an artist, even with the pandemic going on, you know what we just have to do is be like, you know what, we're just going to see. Here's some options that I have. Here's some things I have in the back burner. I feel like, Phil, you have such a great balance of stuff going on, even though you have so much happening. <laughs> so I really appreciate you sitting down and of talking course. with me. Um, let's talk about, too, really quickly, where we can find you. Like, if people want to... So you talked about all your projects. Okay. If we, like, want to look you up uh, and uh, stalk you on those social media platforms, where can we casually just Google you? I know that everybody's been Googling you, but... uh, where can we find you? <laughs> so um, I am on Facebook as Phil Woodmore. It's been my page. And so I've, I feel honored. Um, I was in college in 2000 when Facebook happened. <laughs> and SLU was like the fourth or fifth school. I forgot. It was at the tip top of the yeah. list of schools to get it. So I'm an original Facebooker. <laughs> oh, 
I mean, uh, I mean, we would just talk about all your other accomplishments, but we should have just listed right, that in the beginning. The, the what? Okay. Uh, so I'm on Facebook as Phil Whitmore, as I've been since 2003. Um, Man, and that crazy? I stayed, oh, so crazy. Now we're in 2020. Oh, God. What's happening? <laughs> um, so I started um, a profile page for my choir called the Phil Whitmore Singers, which you can find information about me on. Um, the best resource is just my website. It's www.philip with one L, P H I L I P A, my middle initial, and then Woodmore, W O O D M O R E dot com. Uh, so, Philip A. Woodmore dot com is my website, and you can connect to all these things. Uh, if you want to hear any of this cool music, my uh, YouTube channel is also Phil Woodmore. Um, I'm on Instagram as Phil Woodmore. Twitter is Phil Woodmore. So <laughs> just, yeah. if you type in Phil Woodmore, you will find me on all uh, social media platforms. Um, I'm really hoping to get some music published for Antigone very soon. And I'm just uh, every time I get ready to do a cast album of, of, of the Antigone and Ferguson music, something happens now COVID. So <laughs> I'm really hoping that in 21, um, I can take the time and, and, and find the resources to do a cast album for the music. So you can find that on iTunes. Um, but you definitely can listen to all the music from Antigone and see the full version of the show um, on YouTube if you search it on YouTube. So on my book, uh, I will try to push it out when I release it. I think I'm going to self-publish. Uh, I'm very excited um, that I have the backing of the American for the Arts Foundation up yes. in D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, they did a full profile on me um, and my work. And so I'm hoping um, that I can kind of use them as a tool to get the information out on the book. Uh, but that'll be on my website and other places when that comes out. Um, I'll share a little secret with that. I have been working with an agent. I wrote the initial version of the book and she was like, Phil, you really have three books here. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so um, I just kind of broke it down. So yeah. this first book is going to be just about Antigone. Uh, my second book uh, that I am um, um, aspiring to write is going to be about music education oh, wow. and my okay. philosophies on that. And then the third book is actually going to be a memoir so I can really share my story of, of growing up and and, uh, being raised, so I was I was raised in uh, West County of St. Louis in a time where there weren't many black families out there, and so trying to navigate who I was and how I fit into the community, being a different um, uh, color than everyone in the community, but also not really connecting with the black community that came from the city in school, because uh, you know they thought I was kind of you know the uppity kid, and then not really being accepted by the white community either, and just navigating that and how you know that all came to a pinnacle time for me uh, in high school when I won senior class president, which was literally my first accomplishment of every, like, all things. Again, where and was this in the beginning? You gotta list these accomplishments, okay? <laughs> so wait for my third book and you can read all about it. Oh, I can't wait. No, thank you. And I, yeah, I'm definitely a nerd. I love to read. So whenever you get these books, let me know. And I'm, well, I, here's the thing. I know people are big about like Kindles and Nooks, but I like really yeah, love having that book, hard copy. I agree. And I have um, a bookshelf, so. <laughs> I was like a lot of the things I needed in my apartment. I was like, I really need a bookshelf. So I've got space, so I'll put up, right. you know, your three books. Woo! I can't wait. Thank you. But Phil, I'm so excited. Thank you again for sitting with me. We went from Katie's patio <laughs> when like, now we can tell Andy and Tony that right, this was exactly. great. Right, exactly. Checked off the list. We did it. Check off the list. And speaking of things, um, this episode will be released on a Sunday, depending on when you're watching this. And just remember that you can casually subscribe to the Casually Molly podcast anywhere on 
any streaming service audio wise, as well as Facebook and YouTube. Uh, the last question we usually ask our guests is, uh, what are you going to casually do now, now that we're done with our episode? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> I actually have to coach the rest of the day, so I'm going to go grab a quick bite to eat. And then I have um, uh, my first student is Jacob Tudor. Here we go with some shout-outs. Uh, Jacob Tudor is my first student, and then I'm teaching uh, Noah Van S, who are two brilliant singers from the Muni. I didn't say anything about that. So I'm the new director of Muni Kids. Oh, you Muni, are? yes. Just add it to the list. <laughs> Muni, I'm so <laughs> <laughs> Sorry that this was an Antigone thing. I've been so honored to be a part. Well, I mean, of... I did ask about it, so it's okay. <laughs> it's so honored to be a part of your season this year. Looking forward to next year and hoping that we can do great things uh, next year. Uh, we had a very interesting COVID season, but, you know, it was we got it done. So, yeah, I'm the new director of Muni Kids. Um, so I'm coaching those uh, two kids, and I have uh, three kids after that. And then I'm checking in on one of my really good friends, Jordan Andes, who was just um, hired as the interim um, it's kind of an assistant principal job mm -hmm. at the Rossman schools. Um, he's an amazing educator and an amazing young man. And he just got this really cool job after teaching three years. What, how, Will actually knows and Will will be excited to hear this. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to go um, celebrate with him on his uh, new position. Okay. And that's, that's, that's my day. That sounds great. Yeah. I'm actually going to get something to eat as well. And then I, I don't really know what I'm going to do after. That's really weird. <laughs> I usually have like a set plan, but... Oh, well. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody. Have a beautiful rest of your day, no matter where you are. And uh, just casually stay awesome. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>